Welcome to the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. My name is Natalie Nidham. I'm a nutritionist, a human potential, and epigenetic coach, and I created this podcast to bring you the latest ways to take control of your health and longevity. We cover it all, from new technology to ancestral health practices, personalized interventions, and a very special interest of mine, peptides. Enjoy the show. Hey folks, before we launch into the episode, just one thing, we have a sponsor, drinkhrw.com. This sponsor is all about the magic of molecular hydrogen, and they make the most incredible molecular hydrogen products. They make molecular hydrogen tablets that you can easily just drop into your water every morning as you start your day. They actually even have flavored ones in raspberry flavor, if that's your jam. I like mine uh, plain with a squeeze of lemon, but I also love the raspberry. They even have tablets that you can drop into your bathtub to soak to get a whole body treatment of molecular hydrogen and tablets you can drop into a bowl of water and apply to your face. And so you might be sitting there wondering, so big deal, why would I drink hydrogen? I mean, hydrogen is the smallest molecule on the periodic table. Who cares about hydrogen? Well, let me tell you, you care about hydrogen. A lot about what we talk about in this podcast is about health span and lifespan. It's about aging well. It's about longevity. It's about managing your body system so that you can look, feel, and perform your best. And molecular hydrogen delivers on these points like nothing else does. Think about this. Molecular hydrogen actually combats oxidative stress as well as supporting a healthy inflammatory response. Now, we know that inflammation is at the root of virtually every major disease out there. We also know that it help, it makes us basically age faster. So I would qualify molecular hydrogen as a preventative aging supplement, and it is one of the easiest healthiest, best out there with zero negative side effects. It indirectly mitigates the damages of those three issues that ultimately lead the way in virtually any disease state and fundamentally is are the driving forces in why we age. We're talking about imbalances in oxidative stress, in inflammation, and as well as increased insulin resistance. So you don't really have to take my word for it, guys. You can go to the drinkhrw.com website, and I'm going to tell you that it is one of the most incredible repositories of research and articles all about molecular hydrogen. And you know what I love about this company is they don't just run around telling you how great molecular hydrogen is. They don't just cherry pick the best research articles. They're full on, flat out, pretty honest about this article, this clinical trial. Well, it didn't show us much yet. Here are the flaws in it, or here's what we think. It's an incredible resource, but I can tell you that Whatever it is that you're dealing with, there's probably a clinical trial going on somewhere um, looking at whether or not molecular hydrogen can be helpful. And I will tell you that in my practice, I've seen it be helpful to all kinds of people, people who are suffering from joint pain because molecular hydrogen is able to target inflammation, because it's able to support a healthy inflammatory response in the body, and it also promotes antioxidant and oxidative balance. You guys, you don't want to just be taking antioxidants by the handful. You want something on board that's going to help to keep you in balance to not too high, not too low, just keep you in that Goldilocks state. So like I said, I have clients who were blown away about how effective this molecular hydrogen, taking it every day, sometimes soaking an injured joint 
in molecular hydrogen water, what a difference it made in their mobility and in their ability to recover um, from their injuries and even also, of course, from workouts. So you're going to be hearing me talk a lot more about molecular hydrogen in the future. This is just the tip of the iceberg. I encourage you to go to drinkhrw.com forward slash superhuman, and you can use promo code longevity10, and that will get you 10% off everything that you purchase. And you can try molecular hydrogen for yourself. And by all means, reach out to me and let me know how you liked your molecular hydrogen experience. And by all means as well, please, please, please check out their website. It is one of the most incredible resources that I've seen for molecular hydrogen research. So thanks for being here today, guys. Enjoy the episode. Hey folks, just a little bit of housekeeping before we launch into the episode. Please uh, remember that all of the information provided in these podcasts is for information purposes only. We are never offering treatments, cures, whatever, for any kind of disease or medical condition. Anything you hear about here is going to be intriguing. There's some research around it, but make sure that you check with your medical provider before you go off and um, do any of this stuff for yourself. All right. So um, enjoy the episode. And also, if you're looking to connect with me for any reason, with your comments, questions, whatever it may be, you can reach me through my website, which is natnidham.com, or you can find me on Facebook in the Optimizing Superhuman Performance Group, or on MeWe in the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Group. And of course, you can also follow me on Instagram, which is at Natalie Nidham. Natalie is with an H between the T and the A, the second A. So thank you so much for being here. Appreciate you guys. Enjoy the episode. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Uh, today we're doing things a little differently. So first of all, you can see I'm in a different place than usual. There's beautiful sun on my hair. I'm at my cottage um, and um, it's a gorgeous day here. So if the internet, if our connection gets a little wonky, you'll have to excuse us. It's cottage country. Uh, but today, the other thing I'm doing differently today is that I have my guest with me here. Uh, for the introduction, which I don't normally do. And it's probably appropriate because Jean-Francois, well, Jean-Francois has been recording podcasts with me since before I had a podcast. <laughs> Jean-Francois um, well, was my first podcast guest back when I just had a YouTube channel. And um, he, well, I, you know, I can tell you guys that Jean-Francois Tremblay is nothing short of my mentor in this, in this whole industry of the peptide world. Um, but Jean-Francois also has a, Jean-Francois Tremblay has a master's in pharmacology and he is also the owner of CanLab Sciences, which is a, well, in my humble opinion, the best uh, research lab out there right now who are producing their own peptides and bioregulators. And, um, you know, obviously for research purposes and for all of the good reasons that we know, their service is amazing. And of course, the quality is bar none. So welcome, Jean-Francois, to the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you again. Likewise, again, always a pleasure. Yeah. So today on the agenda, we have some really exciting stuff, you guys. Nothing, um, some new things. So we're going to start by talking about a peptide called LL37, which like so many peptides is a naturally occurring peptide in the human body. It has very powerful, most people know it as having very powerful antimicrobial effects, but it actually has much more broad ranging effects than that, including wound healing and stuff like that. However, 
there's a doc, dark side to LL37, which is that it can be cytotoxic. So we're going to talk about LL37, the goods, the bads, and the uglies. We're then going to segue into what may be the best way to use LL37, which is a new type of peptide um, that Jean-Francois uh, has been making for a little while now, but kind of testing it out on the market and has gotten some really amazing feedback on. And then we're going to move into um, bioregulators. So, and I'm not going to talk about what we're going to talk about now, because then I'd be talking for way too long. So let's go back to the beginning. Let's talk about LL37, uh, because I know that it's a peptide that people are very, well, they either sing its praises or they're like, oh my God, I used LL37 and my body couldn't take it. It, would, it caused too much of a Herx reaction because it is a very, very powerful antimicrobial. So let's talk a little bit about LL37, Monsieur Tom. Well, pretty much you covered it up in terms of effects and all that. It's a really good, well, antiviral. I talked about it. Uh, I did two podcasts on specifically that with Carla Nore, you could look it up yeah. on its antiviral and specifically COVID-19 yeah. effect. It's very effective. Uh, so this is, sorry, so this is for if somebody is sick, they might use it as part of a, as a, of a protocol to overcome the COVID? Oh, yeah, big time. Yeah, okay, great. Because it does two things. It, 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 uh, it deactivates the spikes, uh, of the the COVID nineteen and it cloaks uh, the receptors, the ACE two. The ACE so receptors. It, it wow. makes it invi invisible. So those spikes, let's say, that are not deactivated, they can find the the, the receptors. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a double uh, thing that makes it very uh, very good to use if you have COVID. Preventively, uh, it has been used in, uh, it could be used in a nasal spray. Okay. Uh, because we know that uh, COVID is airborne. Okay. And it does enter through the, uh, the uh, uh, respiratory tract. So yeah. to use a nasal spray, then you have it present. So you, you can then, catch it before it, it goes deeper. But so is there any downside to that? Because, you know, whenever we're using something that's very strong antimicrobial, it's not necessarily selective. And would it disrupt the microbiome in the nasal cavity, do you think? Or is it? Yeah, so that's, that's the thing. I wouldn't use it like every day all the time. Okay. But I would have, and actually we, it was found too, like xylitol is really good at that, you know, nasal. Xylitol, spray. yeah. So I would do a mix of, I think Zelitol, it's 11% uh, solution. And I would throw in there uh, LL37 because it's so local, the effect, you don't need much. So you would get maybe 25 to 50 microgram per spray. And, and I, I would use it selectively where let's say you're about to go uh, where there's going to be a risk of infection. Yeah. And, you know, you have a spray and you, you'd be covered with one spray with both compounds for four to six, probably more times. So basically that, that would, uh, from uh, separately, 
xylitol is close to 90% uh, prevention. So you could have a spray bottle of xylitol and one of the combination, and you might use the xylitol more often, and that combination maybe once a day. Yeah, that'd be a better approach, exactly. And uh, or let's say uh, planes, you know, people they freak out on planes, but you know, in planes you have a negative pressure. Yeah, there hasn't been sucked in. You you cannot get infected. Well, I feel like we would have seen far bigger outbreaks coming off planes if being on a plane was a problem. Even though air travel has declined massively in the last eighteen months, you still you would proportionately see you'd see a disproportionate number of people getting sick on an airplane. So yeah, and you don't see it because that negative pressure and it's basically the same system we use in the white room uh, for any chemical synthesis we we use that for to synthesize uh, peptides yes where the air is filtered but there is a mild negative pressure so it pulls out constantly the air so it doesn't circulate inside exactly yeah yeah, well, that video we shot, we haven't published yet, <laughs> which we will so, one day. <laughs> yeah. But it is it is a very good peptide antimicrobial. Uh, even uh, there is one or two studies where they show its efficacy with uh, HIV. Yeah, uh, I read that. I saw that on the paper, actually. I mean, it's it's know. it's incredibly versatile, but it's also very, very it's very strong because it is cytotoxic. And you see that from people using it. Uh, many times they say, you know, the, the, either if they use it for too long, so you have that accumulation of cytotoxicity, or if they decide, well, if that worked well, more will. Yeah, more, more is better. better. And then they start to feel really bad. And that's that uh, cytotoxicity kicking in. So let's explain cytotoxicity to people. So basically it's toxic to cells. Uh, do you is do you have any more information on that for people like in terms of what that actually means in the body? I've always thought of it as a Herx reaction, like a, a healing crisis because too many things are dying off. But is it that it's actual healthy cells that might be dying off at the same time? Basically, yeah. Okay. All right. No, so toxic for the cells. So. Okay. So so it's a so it's a real double edged sword. Bottom line. Big time. Okay. And then there is that group of researchers that did work on NL37 because when you read the specific article, they say, oh, based on the research we did developing uh, not only NL37, because NL37 is a byproduct of a bigger protein yeah. that is produced by the expression of a gene. And one of the big driver of that gene is vitamin d yeah that is an amazing so now now you understand why vitamin d high levels are good for like specifically covid19 because then naturally you'll produce more down the 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 path you'll produce more ll37 and you'll get that effect as long as it's not canceled out by other factors that your metabolism because it's not the vitamin d uh there you got that that so i wanted to show this to people yeah great it's actually the 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 125 oh of the and, and many times that conversion doesn't happen or is not efficient so when you go for a blood test for vitamin d 
you should ask to check those level, the 125. Actually, interesting fact about that is I have a genetic uh, variation that makes me very inefficient at con converting the 25-OH. Oh, no, I'm inefficient at converting this, uh, of making vitamin D in the first place. Where I get blocked is that 125-OH then has to go through another conversion to be cleared out of the body. Uh -huh. And in my, in, genetically, I don't clear it very well. Mm -hmm. So what's interesting about what you're saying here is for me, I need to get my 125-OH levels tested because my 25-OH could look low, but my 125-OH could be high. So this is, and these are the finer points of vitamin D that people just... Yeah, Don't you know, know it, right? it's like when they do estrogen levels, they don't look at all the forms. There are forms the that are yeah. very bad, some that are very good. You really look to go, uh, I'm not saying for everybody, but, you know, people that may have problems with yeah. estrogen, for example, or in that case, vitamin D, I think everybody should do it. Yeah, to a but point. Anyway, you, you see it. So you have it like catelicidin gene that is expressed that makes that protein the catelicidin protein and then it's cleaved to form ll37 and other uh, peptides but the, the right. one you were, and, and you can see one factor to that effect is uh, air pollution so in that study they found out that if there was and they were specifically when they talk about air pollution here they were talking about nanoparticles of carbon the ones you right. get from this is burning, big city uh, this is like big city air pollution right uh, basically yeah so that that and and you know it kind of explain things like why you get more outbreaks in big cities yeah where air pollution is higher or in countries like india where uh, you know you had huge outbreaks uh, i mean they they they, they burn uh, carbon yeah yeah, yeah. To, to, to make uh, so it literally shuts down your ll37 like that's actually yeah. a crazy piece of information right uh, it there. is it is yeah it really is Okay, so bottom line, LL37 is a downstream metabolite of vitamin D of vitamin D and how it acts on the catholicidin gene. Um, and so it's naturally occurring in the human body. The, the truth is that in the body, probably we make very small amounts of this because we only need, well, should uh, need small amounts because it's cytotoxic. So bigger amounts. Yeah is going to be a negative. And also guys, uh, for those of you who are listening to this and not watching on YouTube, um, there's a bracket here that highlights that this is really active in the respiratory tract and other mucosal tissues. But that's because a study was specifically done on COVID-19. So oh, and okay. they know it's airborne, but we see that happening in the uh, digestive tracts too, but it wasn't relevant for that study. Okay. But, but the digestive tract has mucosal tissue in it yeah, yeah as well. Yeah. So it's, it's the whole no, thing. No, you, you don't get contaminated by COVID-19. No, uh, yeah. Okay. Not. All right. So, so the good news of LL37, very powerful, very effective. The bad news of LL37 is too much is not so good. So because of this whole cytotoxic effect. So Whose idea was it? Do you know there's now a new hybrid peptide, which actually it's the first time I've heard of a hybrid peptide. I'm sure there's others. But this one is where some really smart person said, OK, 
we don't like the cytotoxicity of LL37. Um, let's see how we could mitigate that. And they did. They created a new um, hybrid peptide. And look at me. I look like I'm in one of those weird movies. Yeah. Okay, guys. Sorry. Is connected. It's the angle of the sun coming in through the skylight. I'm sure it'll pass. Yeah, okay. you have that. Uh, those researchers that uh, very bright, you know, they thought, well, they are doing research, and they they did a bunch of research previously on the L thirty seven and variants. You know, you have L thirty one, and they them and other found that the most effective was L thirty seven, and uh, of course they realized that it was cytotoxic, so they started to think, okay, what could we do? What could we do? And of course, they knew about thymosin alpha one that has a very strong effect on the immune system. And they say, and it's anti-cytotoxic. Oh, so it protects so cells. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah so yeah. they say, okay, what can we do? How about we make a hybrid? So we, we hook them together, not the full molecule, but let's find on the molecule which part has the effect we want for both. And let's hook that up together and let's see what happened. And they, they tried many, many variants of it. And they came up with one variant that is very, very effective at what do it does, which is anti-inflammatory. And they were looking in that case, specifically the gastrointestinal tract. Yeah. And they found a much, much, much lower cytotoxicity. So there you go. The hybrid LL37 thymosin alpha one uh, was born. Wow. Uh, now they didn't look at the actual effect of the, on the immune system of that branch. They really wanted to look for the uh, anti-inflammatory in cases of IBS, for example. Right. And, uh, but it was all done on mice and all that. So before we put it on the market, I had samples sent to uh, uh, people who own big mice and things like that. <laughs> they, they, they tried Really it. big mice with arms and, and legs? And yeah. The, the feedback were ridiculous. I have this one guy that, had IBS problem for a very long time and he tried it the first day, all the the uh, uh, effects of that problem were gone. Like, Yeah, his symptoms just vanished. And the second day he pushed it, he, he, that day he ate on purpose all the foods and drinks he knew would trigger his uh, IBS and nothing happened. That's crazy. I mean, that is nuts, right? That in one that that uh, okay. it's it's rare you see something working no, so the, that well so fast without side effects. Okay, now this was a while ago. Has he kept using it? Is he still? Oh using yeah, it? yeah, yeah, yeah. Still and, work? And, and he bought a bunch more. <laughs> I'm sure <laughs> because he's a clinician too, and now he's using it with most of his clients and he is like in his term he, he called it a godsend uh, peptide uh, he, he couldn't believe it and he has been working with peptides for a long time yeah longer than 
99% of the people today, including, uh, I won't name anybody. No, let's not name names. But, and high dosages and everything. He knows what to expect from peptides and he was amazed by this one. Yeah, yeah, so, no, I know who you're talking about and he is, I mean, he's, yeah. he's, um, he's very daring with his peptide protocols and achieves amazing results actually. There you go. Um, okay, so, so has he oh, now- but Just a little parenthesis because yeah. up to today people, sometimes I suggest high dosages of peptides, but people need to realize something. We don't make those numbers up. If you were to actually read the articles, let's say time is in beta four and translate to human dosage, you get those numbers. There is that study they did for uh, ischemic uh, uh, heart attack after, and they were giving 16 average because they were giving a shot every four days. But if you average it, it was, uh, and that's in 16 milligrams a day. Of Time is in beta four. Wow. So people, they think it's a high dosage. Well, yeah, but it's a high dosage that you It's need. a therapeutic. And, and, you know, we don't make up those numbers. Read the studies, convert when they're done in mice to human. And sometimes you'll get dosage up to 100, 200 milligrams. Yeah. Which practically doesn't make it, you know, it's not for everybody money wise, but we don't make up those numbers. They're all there in the studies. Yeah. Just that most people, they just look at the abstract and. Uh, well, I mean, you know. Don't go that far. Yeah. Not everybody's really that adept at reading studies in the first place. So. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so, so it seems that this hybrid peptide is something of a very amazing um, compound for things like IBS. Um, has anything, anything else come back from any of the other people who've tried it or not just yet? No, nothing, which is a good day. sign. You know, when it's good, you don't hear nothing. If there is something bad, you'll hear about it. No, I understand. So, but... uh, so, uh, so you know, they, they keep using it. And uh, the couple I'm in touch with over the phone, they keep saying, wow. Yeah. So that, that has been almost a month now. So for IBS, um, what are we talking about here? We're talking about people who are either have diarrhea or constipation or just some dysregulation. Inflammation in the, in the bowel, you know, anything inf inflammatory in the Any gut. inflammatory. Okay. Yeah. Without naming conditions again. Yeah. Um, and so do we have like a dosage range that we want to well, share with they, people? They did, they did one study on mice and that's why I was surprised because with the mice, they were giving one milligram per kilogram per day. Okay. So if you convert, you know, mice to human, you divide that one milligram by 12.3. Yeah. So roughly, let's say we divide by 10, that would be 0.1 milligram. Yeah. Per kilo? Uh, per kilo. So if you weigh 70 kilograms, that would be seven milligrams per day, which is, again, would make it a bit prohibitive. But I didn't give that information. And because there was a LL37 thing and a mild cytotoxicity, I told them start low, like if it was LL37. So they started at uh, 0.1 milligram per day. Yeah. 
and then bumped it up and they found the strongest effect at uh, 0.4 milligrams. And they found the effect to last about seven, eight hours. And that man weighs about a hundred kilos. So to give you a, He's a bigger a guy, yeah. yeah. So, so if you were a woman, probably two, 300 micrograms two, three times a day would do it. Okay. And so, so far they just keep using it. We don't know if in a month or two after using it, they might be able to stop and the effects might be long lasting. Yeah. Or die. I don't know. I'll have to wait. Nice, Jean-Francois. So I think that that little tongue-in-cheek <laughs> comment bears... Um, no, no, little, I don't see them die. Well, That's he doesn't... True. No, no, but I do think it's important for people to understand that this isn't like... That is highly <laughs> still... It's basically, it's highly experimental. Very, like there's no long-term uh, But it trial. seems today that that's the norm. You know, you they, 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 they give people things and... Yeah, the crowd becomes the experiment. So we're just yeah, but there's it. no long term <laughs> trial on this one, you guys. So <laughs> as much as everything we talk about here is not a, you know, it's not an invitation to do it necessarily. No, you, I'm, you've just, uh, I'm just saying what I do. And yeah, you've just got to know that um, that this one and this one in particular is quite new. So it's it's very new uh, in its application, and even the studies they're like new to it's it's new everything okay so that's our new hybrid peptide which is still you know folks it looks promising but it's still very very new it's un, no long-term studies so the initial <clears throat> the initial feedback is that it seems to be really helpful for inflammatory conditions in the bowel or in in the digestive tract um only time will tell if those effects are longer lasting and you know, if there should be any kind of um, residual well, I, I, issue. I, I would see it as a relief. I don't see it healing the problem. Yeah. So it, yeah. Uh, it still would need to be attended. But I've seen that a lot with uh, Crohn disease and uh, BPC 157, which yeah. is amazingly good. And what I've seen people do, because nobody's perfect and doesn't make them bad people. Yeah. You know, they would follow everything, you know, like uh, the diet, everything, use a peptide, three months, they're good. And then, of course, they keep doing, if they maintain the diet, usually they're good, but who does? Yeah. Uh, unless you're like uh, control free and everything. Well, it depends on the person for sure. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, uh, but very few people do actually. Uh, so usually then they would, if they relapse, they would do a bit of, because of course the relapse won't bring them all the way down, you know, that, that bad state they were. So, so maybe if, if for a few days, I don't know, Christmas time, whatever, they relapse, then they would do a bit of BPC that would bring them back to the, that nice state and mm -hmm. do that once in a while. So uh, in terms of while you're doing uh a therapy to heal your IBS problem. Uh, during the therapy, you could use that peptide that would relieve the symptoms. Well, and decrease but don't think it's yeah. gonna it's fixing it because it's relieved. Yeah, it's like if you have a headache, you take aspirins, the headache is gone, but 
you would still to look into, okay, why did I get the headache? Exactly. Exactly. Something about that. Yeah. Although you would think that in collaboration with a BPC-157, which is going to help with more of the healing, if you mm-hmm. calm down the yeah, inflammation, exactly. it might be able to be even that much more effective. So as woven in as part of a protocol, it may turn mm-hmm. out to be very useful. Um, okay, cool. All right. So on to our next topic. Um, which is we're going to talk about the bioregulators. Bioregulators are, well, they're of high interest these days. They've always been of high interest, certainly the people like you who knew about them. Um, And um, over the last little while, there's been a lot more information that's been coming out. There's a couple of clinical human trials that are happening, um, one in North America that I actually just joined, um, that's looking at the effect of bioregulators on people's biological age versus their chronological age. Exactly. So the the speed at which you age. Having said that, you've been on the bioregulator train for a long time. Uh, CanLab's been manufacturing um, the synthetic versions of the bioregulators. So bioregulators originally are derived from organs, glands, or tissues from young calves, typically, certainly the ones that that are in use in Russia, um, and where they've isolated these two to four amino acid chains that have, will bind to the DNA and upregulate the synthesis of a protein. So they, in essence, help to rejuvenate and restore function to the tissue gland or organ that they're specific to. But they're not learning from you. They're not always as specific as we thought. Sometimes they have effects in other tissues as well. We're not going to talk about that right now. So we have the biologic and then we have the synthetic, which is essentially a recreation of that exact amino acid chain in the exact sequence that it, because they're organized sometimes geometrically, right? So it's not, it's not A plus B plus C. There's very specific ways that the bonds have to happen. Um, But then we have the synthetics and I've heard Dr. Kevinson speak about how you know, in his mind, the synthetic and from what we've also seen, the synthetic seems to be faster acting, but maybe not always as long acting as the biologic, which is slower acting and maybe longer acting. And I don't know. And I know that you have your point of view on this. So we're getting to you. Okay, first disclosure. (laughs) Of course, I'm going to push the synthetic because we make the synthetic as the one who pushed the oral version extract turns out that they sell the extract so you know it's normal that we each have that bias yeah but i think we can also agree that they may have different properties but when you look at the actual source of both so to say, which is the the Kevinson Institute for Longevity in uh, Saint Petersburg, they they use both. Yeah, they do. What I see is for a practical reason. Uh, The synthetic, you need to take them. Well, no, you could even take them orally. But the point is, it would be much more expensive because, listen, for the more they want us to think that they're orally available. I believe they are, but to what degree? Even vitamins at one point, you know, some people, they have Alzheimer symptoms just because they don't absorb some vitamin Bs anymore, which 
were supposed to absorb. Yeah, so their, their, their track is so bad, their digestion processes are so bad that they don't absorb those vitamins. Yeah, of course, that's an extreme. So well, I think because the bioregulators, uh, the only way I will push back on this a little bit, because I think the bioregulators are so small that it's not it's not like your body has to break them down. If you're trying to extract them from food, it's a different story, like your ability to break down the food. But the other thing I want to say is that the oral, the, the dosages are much, much higher, like it's 20 milligrams or 200 milligrams, whereas with with a synthetic bioregulator, you need to and we're going to get to that. You need yes. a fraction of that. Right. So to your point, they have to put a lot more into those capsules to, to get, get an effect. a percentage absor absorbed. Yeah. And you, you have that clinical thing, too. You know, some of Kavinson's studies were done with oral. Yeah. But, you know, there was like uh, 14 thousand people in one study over three thousand you know you know if they start to inject the peptide they, you know you're gonna lose a big if they take oral you're yeah. pretty sure and plus you know it was russia as uh, that guy doing those studies now mentioned you know it was communist russia if they would tell them they were in siberia they did it you know oh yeah yeah so, so I, you know, I don't know that we want to get in. I, I mean, I think that there's value to both. I think that the synthetic, what I've seen is that we, you tend to see a much faster uptake and a faster effect from the synthetic for sure. Of course. Um, because You know, you don't build up, you start to like, you jump start from the first day. Yeah. Uh, uh, because if you want, we'll come to that. Uh, a big misunderstanding happened over the last decades. And it's specifically with epitalon and epitalamine. For a longest time, for some reason, we believe they were the same thing. And people would be confused because they would see dosages for epitalamine Ten, you know, in Kevinson's studies where yeah. it would stay 10 milligrams per day for 10 days. Yeah. And thinking epita, it was for epitalon, they applied it. But uh, uh, other part of the confusion is that 15, 20 years ago, there was no online translation. It was translate, you know. And so people thought when they would see the actual epitalon dosages because there are studies done on the, the synthetic one and the dosage were in micrograms and somehow it was assumed that it was a mistake in translation or no they say they must have meant milligrams they wrote microgram it's almost like we didn't want to see it or believe it because when you look at it it's pretty clear so basically the thing is 10 that protocol of 10 milligrams for 10 days that's not for epitalon that's for epitalamine and you see the same thing happening with you know the timalin which is yeah. the thymus extract and the thymogen which is the active peptide dosages it's a hundred folds less so they see the same effect with 
Timogen at 0.1 milligram per day yeah. as with 10 milligrams of timeline per day. And with epitanol, it's actually bigger. It's 100 to 500 times. So there is one study, it is stated in the study, what they found is that the epitanol, the synthetic one, was more a uh, uh, 100 to 500 times more potent than epitalamine. So what does that mean is you don't need to take, I mean, if you have a business selling uh, epitalon, it's very counterproductive, but it's a fact. You don't need to take five or 10 milligrams a day. That's way too much. <laughs> Actually, probably with 0.1 milligrams, you'd get away. So 100 to 500 micrograms a day would be plenty, is what would you're be, saying. Would be plenty. Yeah. Uh, Knowing that, even myself, you know, I, I'm still going to take one milligram a day, you know, just to be on the safe side. Yeah. You cannot take too much of it. Well, clearly, because but you... that's way too much. And when you look at the price, it, and that's good for people because now it makes it much more accessible. You're talking five to ten times cheaper, cheaper to do a therapy. Yeah. And a lot of people would be very conservative and not do it or not as often as they should because of the price. Yeah. And now it really, really, really makes it affordable for everybody. And, and it makes it actually much more cheaper than doing the, the, uh, the extracts, the oral or whichever form you're talking about. Uh, so I was part of it, mea culpa, because many times I suggested those milligrams. Those five to dosages, 10 milligrams a day. And, yeah. and I was just wrong. It, it's way too much. Okay. So, I mean, you know, we've talked about this beforehand. And mm. I think, thank you for coming out and saying that to people. I mean, because, you know, from a, Lord knows if you were you were publicly traded on the stock exchange right now, your shares would be I, I, plummeting. I am for Tesla. I got some shares. Oh, you got some shares, Tesla. I yeah, got but not not your car. your other company, the other company. But um, but to be able to come, and I think that that's part of what's happened in the transition. What people have been seeing is all of a sudden the bioregulators are coming out in 20 milligram vials instead of 100 milligram vials. And as you've come to this realization, you've been transitioning. Um, the, the the what you're the units that you're selling in so that it becomes more appropriate for people so that I mean I like you I'm on the one milligram a day train but definitely if if I come across a client who feels financially that they can't handle even that then to go to half a milligram a day they would still be getting a ton of they they would be getting the full benefit so. And, and I need to give credit where it's due. There is that one guy, isn't this group, who uh, posted on Reddit something about that. And, you know, I made the link. I found out who it was. And, you know, there are people who realized that before. Yeah. I've mentioned it, but it didn't, it didn't come true. You know, as I said, it's like people didn't want to believe that. Uh, again, what I've said before, when you repeat a lie that often, then it, it becomes, becomes the truth. truth. Absolutely. So, you know, uh, so there are people, you know, I'm not saying I'm the first one who's seen it. No, there are a lot of people and 
a few even in this group that not in the group, but in other groups or other platform who mentioned it and, and they were right. All right. Well, let this be a sea change from now on uh, your daily, uh, a person's daily dosage on bioregulators would be, would be perfectly fine at hundred micrograms a day. And, you know, the, the interesting thing about the bioregulators is there just doesn't seem to be a toxic dose. So it, it's never been found. So if you want to spend the money and see what happens at 10 times the dose, do a milligram a day, you can do that too. Um, and maybe for, I was going to say, we need to go there. I was going to say for therapeutic, you know, like I, you know, if I have, I mean, if people in my world have heart issues, vascular issues, high blood pressure, yeah, I'm going to be working more around those one milligram a day dosage for sure and for longer. But um, but for people who are optimized and just looking to keep that train going, then you may just not need to be going that high. Exactly. Which is good news for everybody. Now, everybody can go on Epitalon and all that and... Yeah, I mean, at, money, at some actually, level, becomes, money, money shouldn't be a concern anymore in that case. You know? Exactly. It's no they, longer they, an issue. They, they yeah. become very, very affordable uh, peptides. Frankly, so, more affordable than the other peptides. Than most, <laughs> actually, yeah. And the BPCs and the thymus and beta-4s. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so that's the big kind of boom of this episode. And one of, there were a couple of things we wanted to talk about. We wanted to talk a little bit about some of the one of the things that I mean, Epitalon gets talked about a lot where with respect to reset, resetting the circadian clock, restoring melatonin production, all of the downstream effects of of what that means. And we know that melatonin is highly anti-inflammatory. It's anti-cancer and the whole nine yards. But it seems that Epitalon itself is also very anti-cancer. And do you think or it's certainly there's a lot of studies that have associated drawn lines between anti-tumor effects. I know that in some of Kevin, Dr. Kevinson's studies, he talked about a, like a dramatic decrease, especially in the elderly populations. When he repeated that study in the, I think it was 75 to 85 year olds or 65 to 85 year olds. Like yeah, and that it was, it was insane. Right. Um, he called, well, there was the elderly people, but, but does it, does that mean that Epitalon has independent anti-cancer or is it just do you think it's just a downstream effect of upregulating the mel of restoring melatonin no not, not only that resetting all those circadian clocks in the body i think it's gonna work at resetting if you're in the proper setting of resetting meaning let's say your circadian rhythm is out of whack because you go to bed at three, four in the morning every night and you wake up, you know, you, you have very, very bad sleep hygiene. Yeah. And then you say, okay, I'm going to fix that. I'm going to take a pitalon. Well, it's not going to work. I think first you need to reset your, uh, you know, readjust your sleep time and number of hours you sleep. Oh, so you're saying address the sleep hygiene and take a pitalon. Yes, exactly. For sure. So For sure. otherwise, well, it's not going to do it. Otherwise, if you insist on being up till so, I think that that's yeah. very important for people to understand. You know, yeah. it's not going to fix every. It's not a free pass to uh, no uh, partying every night. So 
that that understood yeah of course it does that but for the cancer thing no i think there are direct effect uh, epitalon is the one that was the most studied and and that's why too again it's taking forever but i'm writing that white paper on on bioregulators where some study shows that some bioregulators have effects in other tissues that they're native tissues. Yeah. Like yeah. I just took like epitalon, it was shown for cancer. Uh, it has positive effect on the pancreas, on the heart itself. And, and you look at the study, it's not through an indirect effect. It's a direct effect in right. those tissue cells. Violin, same thing in the heart tissues. And I suspect that if there were more studies uh, of those tissues and each peptides, probably we would find a lot more of those cross uh, interactions. Well, I actually came across one because um, I was looking into Cartilax, the one mm -hmm. for uh, for cartilage. Yeah. Well, Cartilax has huge implications, positive implications, not just for cartilage, but for skin because it upregulates elastin as well as um. collagen, but also for the heart because the heart is highly dependent on that flexibility on the elastin mm -hmm. and the collagen. So I was like, I mean, I'm kind of blown away, right? Because you start to think, and, and I mean, it makes sense because the heart is not as an organ completely different than everything else in your body. Like mm -hmm. it's going to share properties with other systems and tissues in the body. So it makes sense that it would, it would be positively or even negatively affected. If you have a collagen problem, um, it might, it might affect your heart. It might affect other tissues and organs and how they're held together. So anyway, just to that point, like looking at the play, I guess what I'm trying to say is we talk about BPC-157 being very pleiotropic. We didn't used to talk about bioregulators in the same way, but from what you're saying and from some of these papers, it sounds like they actually are pleiotropic. Yeah, not individually, but if you use them all, I think you will cover, you know, you would think, okay, I'm covering those 18 systems or organs, but I think you cover pretty much everything. What I believe, for example, and that's why, again, I mentioned it before, I'm really coming back to bioregulators as anti-aging yeah. versus other compounds like Mutsi, Humanin, and all that. Because I strongly believe that if you upregulate all the systems and organs that produce those peptides, yeah, yeah. then they will be upregulated too as yeah. an effect. It's just we don't know for sure because no studies were done on that specifically. Yeah. But it would make sense to think that. Well, the mod, uh, and I see the mod SC as more like an intervention. Exactly. You know what I mean? Uh, like if you're if you're so down, if your system is so low that you kind of need that push, but it's temporary. What you what you're saying, which makes total sense, if you can upgrade the system so that you no longer need that outside intervention, that's where you've really hit the money. And uh, yeah, big time. And that's why, at least preventively, like which would be really what we call anti-aging or healthy aging. Yeah, I think the core of uh, 
the, 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 the protocol should be around bioregulators. Yeah. That's a couple of other ones that, well, GHK, I think we're going to talk a bit about it. Yeah, we it. are going to talk about it. I secretly uh, believe it should be a bioregulator. Uh, I just think it hasn't made gotten the classification yet. <laughs> uh, time is in beta four. There is that article written by uh, a group of researcher that has done research on time is in beta four, mainly with the heart. But what they found is that time is in beta four kind of make the cell of the heart remember its native state you know when right. it you was posted in the womb. yeah 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 and that that's amazing and they 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 theorize that it's probably not the only one there is a bunch of other ones i guess they didn't look into bioregulators and a few of those other ones so time time is in beta 4 is an amazing peptide to repair and it's inflammatory and all that but it does even more than that it's <laughs> it has that effect that you, it can be classified to me as an anti-aging compound. Of course, small, smaller dosages all the time, not all the time, but uh, basically at this point, the, the, the anti-aging uh, protocols I, I, I prefer are around bioregulators with thymosin beta-4 once in a while and GHK as, I, I, I include it as a bioregulator. Yeah, and, yeah, and no. ta uh, tyrotropin. TRH. We yeah, have it's to do three, three, three amino acid. We have to do an episode just on TRH one day. And uh, funny, there is some of the Cavinson studies where they actually looked too into DSIP, and found he, he, he put it in the anti-aging. Uh, really. Yeah, for other effects than only on the uh, Delta sleep. So, you know, there are a few other peptides that fall in those categories. But I, 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 I wouldn't go, okay, for example, I'm taking Matsi right now, but not for its anti-aging thing. It's really for his, you know, because uh, again, I'm, I'm, I'm on a diet, I started to train again. So, you know, to support all that. So technically it's a therapeutic approach. An intervention, yeah. An intervention. Yeah. But I wouldn't see it as uh, at this point, if you're doing all the, the bioregulators and all that, I don't see it. Uh, you don't need to do all those other ones. As before, I would suggest, you know, to cycle, but you know, to throw in all, all those. Uh, no, you don't, or again, unless, but then it becomes an intervention. Unless you have, when you start, let's say you begin, you say, okay, I want to improve all that. And it turns out I have some chronic fatigue, I have this, then yeah, you use them. But again, th that's for, the, that's an interventional You're part. You're talking about the mod SCs now. So, so you fix things at the beginning and then you let, those peptides upregulate all your system. So you won't depend on those peptides in the future. But you know, you can use them at the beginning to jumpstart things. For sure. Well, the mod SC for the energy, for people who are really lacking in energy to at least help them in the short term kind of reclaim. Because what, what people don't, specifically about mod C, it revs up the mitochondria. Mm-hmm 
which is not normal, you know. Uh, that's why yeah. not, uh, you, you can feel it. If you take it at night, many times you, you will have a hard time sleeping because everything yeah. is over overrunning. And, you know, in nature, it's Stephen Hawking, you know, there is no free lunch yeah. in nature. Uh, you'll pay a price for that eventually. So it's... Well, if nothing else, you get a massive increase in reactive oxygen species, right? For example. So, you know, you have to do something to mitigate mm. the ROS at the same time. So, but definitely, you know, and what I've seen with Mod SC, it seems to me, is when somebody who really needs it uses it, it works. It it's amazing. Beautiful things for them. When somebody who doesn't need it uses it, they can't sleep. They're wired. Like you literally, you see it in them. Like it does not, it, it, it makes them feel like crap. So mm. it's, it's a very, that one's a very interesting peptide for that reason, actually. Mm -mm. And it's funny that happened to me. First time I used Matsi, I was like that. It was, there are nights I would sleep only two, three hours and I would be fine. Well, you like, would think you were fine, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and all the subsequent times I did it, it didn't happen. And that's probably, you know, probably I had low mutsi levels. I brought them up. Yeah. And through the other peptides I was using, upregulating things, then probably, you know, I had a, a drop there, brought it up. and uh, And then you back off. And then I backed off. And now I take Matsi. It's funny, I don't, it doesn't make a difference. With, it doesn't. That doesn't make sense, though. It doesn't, no, yeah, it doesn't wire me either. Yeah. But that makes me believe that I don't need it. I, I'm not liking Matsi. Or maybe I got used to it. Hard to say. Hard to, Hard to say. say. I mean, that, that blows my theory out of the water. Because if your mitochondria are optimized and you use Matsi and you don't feel it, then. It's not doing anything. And I don't I don't think of much. Well, I'm sure there are other factors. In the, yeah, because I don't think of Matsi particularly as a modulatory peptide. I think of, you know, there's other peptides that are more modulatory in their behavior. Exactly. Matsi, I don't see. I see it as as turning something on, like whether you need it or not, it's going to ramp yeah. up. So it's it. And for me, that means it's a peptide that has to be treated with more respect because you, you know, you can overdo things. And just like you said, you know, you over rev mitochondria, you're upregulating reactive oxygen species that if they're not balanced are going to be a negative on the system. So it's, um, it's not, it's not something to be taken for granted. Okay. So the last thing we're going to talk about, because this is going to be turned into one of these marathon episodes um, is GHK. So GHK, we mentioned before, um, I secretly believe that Sunday it may be inducted into the Hall of Bioregulators <laughs> just because of the way that it works in that it acts directly on DNA. And well, Kevin Sun once declared that he wished he had discovered it. So, yeah, that so, so that says a lot right there, right? So he's anyway. So GHK has. I mean, I think there was, was at Stanford University, someone did this big study looking to see how many genes GHK actually acted upon. And it was shown to either flip genes on or off, like in a thousand different genes, right? No, more than or more, Or maybe it was 4,000. Like, it's just, it's, it's huge. It's massive. Mm -hmm. um, so it has wound healing properties. It has 
scar tissue management, like it helps with scar tissue. Um, it helps with skin. Obviously it's the copper peptide. People will use it topically. Um, and they can also use it systemically. So it's got, and I'm sure that there's massive things that it can do that we don't even know about yet, because if it can impact that many genes, obviously it's going to have very wide ranging effects, but you know, how to use GHK is a big question. I've come to the conclusion that probably for me, one milligram a day on an ongoing basis might be a really good thing to do for periods of time. You've developed a new theory based on those studies that many of us don't always spend enough time with. Um, and you've come up with a very interesting solution. So why don't you tell us? Well, yeah. <laughs> okay. It's not theory. It is. Yeah, I know. Research. It's practice. Yeah. Uh, it turns out that GHK is very short-lived and there seem to be kind of a saturation point of it. There is so much you can take at once that you won't see the, uh, and it seemed it's a fairly low dosages. So anyway, to make it short, in that study, they found that uh, they, they compared they would give one milligram a day uh, per hour for 10 hours. So a total of 10 milligrams. And they look at the effects it, that had. And then they saw that to get the same effect, if you were to give one shot, you would need to give 100 to 200 milligrams in one shot. Wow. Uh, oh, oh no, and derivated from other studies, they concluded that actually it's, you would need to take between 100 and 200 times more in one shot than if you split it over 10 hours, 10 so shots. You infuse it basically. Oh, and no, it makes it. sense. That, that makes you see there is so much you can use at once. Sure. But if you take a mega shot, well, you know the half-life? of a yeah. compound. So it's short, let's say it's an hour, but- Yeah, but you'll so, still have enough left for a few but hours. But if you take yeah. 200 milligrams after an hour, you still have- 100. 100, so you'll yeah. use some, and you know, as it goes down, there was still floating around. So you, but you need that huge peak at the beginning. So you have enough over those 10, 12 hours. Right. So uh, you're talking then, bolus of 100 to 200 milligrams, which makes it not affordable. I have a question. So, I have a question before you go on. Yeah. Were they using GHK or GHKCU? Uh, sometimes they would mix them in a one-to-one -one ratio, sometimes uh, only GHK. Okay, carry on. And right. a few yeah. studies only GHKCU, but that's before they found out that the GHK didn't need the, the, the copper because it, it will find it. And, uh, and that you have to be careful too. Uh, using the one with CU, I think it's uh, Lisa Pitel that she mentioned. You can end up with copper toxicity. Yeah. yeah. At the beginning, they were feeling good, probably yeah. because they were deficient in copper, but they kept using it and they eventually it reached uh, Tox uh, toxicity and then yeah. they were not feeling good at all. Yeah. So you, you have to be careful about that. Perfect. So I think it's better to use without copper all the time and make sure that your 
copper and zinc levels are in par, you know, where they should be. Yeah. And, and you'll be okay. So the GHK will find uh, the copper it needs and no problem. So basically what should be done? It doesn't have to be done year round. I still believe like one, two milligrams a day, but I think once in a while, maybe once, twice a year, you should go two, three weeks on that protocol where you, okay, either you take one milligram every hour mm -hmm. for 10, 12 hours. Which is not going to fly in my world, just saying. You know, it's always <laughs> the same story. The first two, three days you do it. The fourth, fifth days, it's uh, like you forget some. And usually yeah. within a week, it's, uh, excuse my French, fuck that. Yeah, you're done. You know, it's yeah. not viable, except for a small percentage of the people. Uh, myself, what I found as, as a solution is uh, an insulin pump. So... <laughs> You hook it up and that's it. You get constant infusions over 12 to 24 hours. You program the thing, you wear it. It's a bit bothering the first day, but after that, you forget it. And uh, and there you go. So if uh, I could even, and those ones actually talking to a, a doctor in Toronto has been using them for years, is the one who gave me the idea. He was using it for peptides. Uh, uh, he tried them all and he said the best is this model and you get it from China. Uh, well, we can always um, we can always post um, the reference in the show notes if people are interested. Yeah, of course. And 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 the thing is, they cost about a thousand dollars US. Plus, you need to buy, you know, the supply, the little tube and everything. Yeah. And again, but if you think about it. If you do two, three weeks with the GHK, you will get the equivalent results as if you had done 100 to 200 milligrams a day. Okay. Yeah. And if you would have done it, the first week your pump will be paid. Yeah. Yeah. For so, the price, for the price because of the, the pump, you buy it once and it's good. Plus, it can be used for other peptides too that has been shown if you like time as in alpha one and BPC one five seven. BPC one five seven, yeah. Are more effective if you spread out, you know, instead if you need to increase the dosage, it's better to increase the frequency than the actual uh dose in every shot. Mm -hmm. So for some cases it would be a better idea to infuse it with the pump like that. Same thing with time as in alpha one. Uh you would get much more results. Again, it's not for everybody, but you know, it's a biohacking group. This yeah. is biohacking. This is biohacking 2.0, <laughs> for sure. And I mean, I think that the things that people would have to watch out for here is you'd have to be pretty judicious with your hygiene. Um, well, the, the, the normal precautions. Yeah, you have to take precautions. Just because you've got something in your skin, in, in, you know, you've, you've got a knee, you've got an, in, you've got something into your skin for many hours a day. So you do have to be judicious about your hygiene. So, and it's not, you know, as Jean-Francois said, this is definitely biohacking 2.0. Uh, the 10, the 10 injections a day might be more somebody's speed. Yeah. You or, know, if, if you want that and budget wise, you know, no problem. The best approach would be to do that one milligram 
every hour for 10 hours will be the equivalent of doing 100, 200 milligrams in one shot. Yeah. So therapeutically, that would be a way. And what are the benefits? Uh, what are the benefits that they talked about in that study? Just if people were thinking, okay, I'm going to do this, but why am I doing that, this? What, what's going to happen? Okay, all the benefits you see, uh, tissue repairs and all that. That's why you see amazing results in the abstract. And people they say, yeah, GHK, it's great for tissue repair. And then they try it and it's like, yeah. No, not that good. Yeah, because you need to infuse it. Not when you're talking tissue repair, you're talking also skin, like repair, for anti-aging. Skin, everything. Uh, when you apply it on the skin, it's a slow absorption, so you kind of have that that yeah. uh, infusion uh, happening, but you get the effect mostly on the skin. Uh, but it's an amazing peptides of all the peptides in terms of repair. Uh, one effect you didn't mention is it repairs damaged DNA. Oh, yeah. Uh, and there are I some... I forgot about that. <laughs> uh, I don't remember which cancer, but it's known that the cause of that cancer is up to 80% damaged DNA. Skin cancer and is due to damaged DNA. So it's, it's amazing. GHK is, is probably on top of all the other ones. It's probably, it's the only peptide I always said, take as much as you can for as long as you can, what you can afford. It's the only one I would say, never stop, take as much as you can. It, it's to me, it's the uh, almost, the, you know, it's on in my top three. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an amazing one. But if you want to get the most bang for your buck, you, you need to go on the infusion. And I would do that maybe three, four times a year for two weeks. Yeah. Where you do that 10, 10. And then maintenance, you do one, two milligrams a day. Uh, but I think if you want that profound effect on, on the, and much more as you get older, Mm -hmm. you, you need to go or if it's therapeutic you need yeah. to go through infusions so what do you in, so in the, in your 20 hour day how much ghk are you infusing 10 milligrams 10 milligrams and yeah. i do it over 20 hours i yeah. take four hour breaks a day so it's 0.5 milligrams yeah uh, an hour. And there you go yeah no that's um no no that would be uh-huh Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Ten yeah. milligrams over twenty hours. My numbers reversed. Okay, you cool. know, you know, most of the emails I get are about that thing. What's Simple that? Maths, the math. Know, they, oh my god, the oh, math. It's, it's crazy. You know. I know. I spend a lot of time doing math with people. It took me, but I will say that at the beginning, it took me a while to get my head around it. The biggest concept that people struggle with, and I think once they get their heads around this, things get easier. Once you understand, there's a thousand micrograms in a milligram. And then you understand basic ratios. I don't feel bad. They have doctors. Oh, everybody gets confused by it. Everybody. It's like, come on, how did you get into math school? You have like a, <laughs> some math basic somewhere and yeah. they just don't grab it. They just can't get it. Yeah. You but know? they do. Everybody eventually gets it. And once they oh, get yeah. it, it's like, oh, okay. And then they're off to the right. But everybody comes to it in their own time. Okay, so I think we've covered all the things. Did we leave anything out? I, no, I mean. No, it's pretty much it. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot of questions popping up. 
uh, yeah, on the group. So we'll answer them there. We will answer them in the group and or we will answer them in another podcast if there's enough to, to go to another podcast. So Jean-Francois, as always, thank you so much. <laughs> You're thank welcome. you for your generosity here. Thank you for your generosity in the groups. And for those of you who don't know, the group we're talking about is the biohacking super. Oh no, it's the optimizing superhuman performance group on Facebook. There's a biohacking superhuman performance group on me. We, although Jean-Francois and I are not nearly as active there as we are on Facebook at this point. Um, can lab sciences is canlabsciences.com. If uh, you decide to, for whatever reason, buy anything from CanLab, you can get 15% off with promo code OSPO, like optimizing S like superhuman, P like performance, 1515. And um, we appreciate you guys, both of us. I mean, I really enjoy doing these podcasts with you, Jean-Francois, and uh, all the comments and questions that we both get as a result. Uh, reaching out to Jean-Francois directly is a bit hit and miss because he's a pretty busy guy. He does his best. Uh, usually through the group, on the Facebook group, most people will be able to get an answer eventually. Uh, yeah, uh, and many times from you. You know, you're, you're pretty good too with that. <laughs> I had a good teacher. Uh, <laughs> so, guys, thank you so much for being here. Uh, thank you for tuning in. This will be on YouTube as well. Um, there were we used uh, we used some images a couple of times, so the YouTube might actually be helpful in this one, especially at the beginning of the conversation when we were talking about LL thirty seven and that vitamin D pathway. Um, and I think that's all. I think I will bid you farewell and thank you again for your time. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to leave us a five-star review on iTunes because that's what helps us to be heard and to be seen. If you'd like to connect with me directly or if you'd like to leave any comments or if you have any questions about this episode, please reach out to me directly through my website, natnidham.com. And of course, if you're not already a member of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Community on Facebook, that's where you'll find me every day. It's a short application, just answer a couple of questions and you're in and interfacing with other amazing biohackers. Thanks again, and we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode.